talking about the spirit of truth. God has given us an antidote for the challenges that we face and the fears that are overwhelming so many today. God has given us an antidote, and his name is the Holy Spirit. And the good news is you're never alone. You've got somebody living inside of you who is, who is a coach, who is a partner, who is a helper, who is a comforter, who is everything you need in a hard place. So we want to talk about uh, that today. We've been talking about that. This is, uh, this is actually um, uh, Sunday number five where we're talking about the spirit of truth. John 16 verse 7, Jesus said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. Now his disciples, when he said that, he said, how, how can it be to our advantage that we never see you again? He said, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. Jesus was the one that met the needs of the disciples. If they, if they needed food, they went to Jesus. If they needed tax money, they went to Jesus. If they needed somebody to explain uh, the meaning, the hidden meanings of the word, they went to Jesus. You know, if somebody needed healing, they went to Jesus, et cetera, et cetera. Jesus was only at one place at one time. But he said, it's better for you that I go. If I go away, everything that I was to you is not just going to be with you the way I am. He's going to be in you. Now, isn't that awesome? So as we go into a really strange time uh, just before Jesus' return, isn't it good to know that God has not left us bereft or alone? Isn't that good news? And then Jesus said this in John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he's heard. He will tell you about the future. That means, what does that mean? That means if there's some adjustment I need to make in life because of what is coming up, he's big enough and he's loving enough to talk to you about it. Is that true? Now, I've been walking with Jesus. I'm into my 46th year of walking with Jesus, and I've never had anything ever, ever in my life that God did not completely take me through, prepare me for, and take me to the other side successfully. How about you? I mean, how about you? Has God taken you through things successfully? Do you think he's full, well able to do that today? And so Jesus went on to say here, he will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he's heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring glory to me by telling you whatever he receives from me, Jesus said. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. So the cool thing is, you know, the Holy Spirit never brings attention to himself. He brings attention to Jesus. And his big goal in your life and my life is to make Jesus real to us. He wants us to walk in the light of the privileges that Jesus gave us in his death, burial, and resurrection. How many know that you're seated with Jesus in heavenly places? How many know that you're seated with Jesus in heavenly places? How many know you're seated with Jesus in heavenly places? That means you have authority over the devil. That means when needs come, God's the need meter and he'll show you how to get the need met. And he'll also use you to bless people around you. Yes or no? Wow. So uh, we've spent four lessons talking about how to steer through deception. We have huge deception going on today. Again, my encouragement is turn your television news off. I need to say it stronger than that, actually. I can tell who watches the news by how they act. September 19th, second lesson, we talked about uh, how, how God can navigate you through hard places because pain looks for pleasure and how Jesus can become your pleasure in the hard place. We talked about that. We talked about repentance. Uh, and then, and the repentance is really an open door for God to do something fresh in your life. Actually, we as believers should live a lifestyle of repentance. Repentance is not a negative thing. It's a positive thing. It's a constant change of heart that produces a constant change of mind that produces a constant re uh, renewal of living every day. You hear me? So I don't know about you. I'm going to live a lifestyle of repentance. How about you? And then last time I spoke on this, October 3rd, we talked about the Holy Spirit being both a coach and he's also a partner in life and went into fair detail on that. Now, I want to start a different, uh, a different vein of this, turn the coin on the other side, so to speak, and begin talking about an experience that I had uh, a number of years ago when I first came to the Lord that has revolutionized my life as I lived it prior to knowing Jesus. I want to talk about it. And I want to talk about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And I want to say this, first of all, the first century church 
um, when all when the church age began, uh, the Rome there was political upheaval. The Roman government was in full force overseeing the Jews in Israel. It was a really difficult time. They were basically demented dictators in a lot of ways who persecuted the church very, very severely. So persecution was at an all-time high. Then there was a tremendous moral plunge in the Roman, uh, Roman culture, and that is actually what caused the demise of the Roman culture. They didn't keep their morals, and they fell away, and they became a non-entity worldwide. How many hear me? So that's happening to America right now. That's why you need to desperately pray for your nation. They had pagan temples, and just to cut to the chase, uh, the pagan temples were all over the place, and people would visit pagan temples. Inside the pagan temples were sex parties. I don't know how more plainly to say it than that. It's awful to talk about. And, and then the leaders in the Roman government, in fact, uh, uh, Nero had, a, had a, a young teenage, 14-year-old teenage boy that he married. Yeah, and I could go into more detail, but I don't need to today. Uh, just a terrible time. Then there was tremendous persecution. At the same time, God did amazing things. The church age began. You can't keep God's people down. Every time pressure comes, we always rise up. Every time pressure comes, God always makes a way. And the uncanny thing is God will use the pressures of the day to catapult his kingdom worldwide. So the very thing that the enemy means for evil, God turns around for good, just like he did in Joseph's day. So if you feel the pressure increasing, you should get excited. Where, where, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And you can look for the presence of God in a stronger way, a more full way. Or you can look in the darkness and go, oh, my Lord, what are we going to do like everybody else does? I don't know about you. I'm going to keep my eyes set on the sun and watch what he does, right? So anyway, the counterbalance for everything they dealt with in the first century was the Holy Spirit. Uh, they had tremendous pressures, um, and worse pressures than we even have right now. And the counterbalance, the thing that, that, that gave them wisdom and helped them, it was the, the presence of Jesus in their life in the person of the Holy Spirit. And, and just before Jesus left the earth in the ascension, he told his disciples, don't you dare leave Jerusalem. We'll talk about it in a minute. He said, wait for the promise of the Father because you can't deal with the pressures without everything I have to give you. And here's what I want you to know. God's given us the equipment today in the person of the Holy Spirit to deal with anything the enemy tries to bring. That's the confidence I have. Uh, let me give you a little bit of background here. Everybody okay? So I was raised Southern Baptist. How many love the Southern Baptist? Uh, I love Southern Baptist. I was raised Baptist. My dad was a, uh, was a deacon in the Baptist church. My mother was a Sunday school teacher. In fact, I have a vivid memory, and I can remember wearing diapers into, uh, on, I had diapers on going into my mother's Sunday school class as she taught the class, and I wouldn't go into the nursery. She brought me into the class with her. She taught Sunday school. And then my dad was a deacon for a long time in our church, so I went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then all week long if we had revival meetings. You know what that is? So that's just my background. Some people have a heathen background where they never went to church. I don't have one of those. I was a religious person. And uh, although I had a, a, a small experience with Jesus at age eight, I never walked in the light of it and didn't even understand most of it all my life. Nonetheless, nonetheless, uh, the story is 1975 is the year I graduated from high school. And uh, just a few months prior to my graduation, my mother was in a uh, Baptist ladies prayer meeting in a lady's house. This lady uh, uh, just went home to be with Jesus, I think, last year, actually. Sweet lady. I knew her all my life. When I was a little tot, I knew her. Anyway, they went to her house for a prayer meeting, all Baptist ladies, and uh, they had an unusual experience with God. They didn't know what happened to them, but my uh, uh, experience as watching from, as an outsider looking in, my mother came home from that experience, and she was all about Jesus. And so my father, and I have two brothers at the time, and uh, my father said, what in the world happened to mama? And we said, well, we don't know. He said, well, she should. And, and, and so we, we all noticed she was acting what we would call strange in that she started reading the Bible more. 
She started praying more. She would listen to Christian music all the time. And then she had this uncanny thing she never did before. We would hear her say, well, praise the Lord. Well, hallelujah. Well, thank you, Jesus. She never used that kind of vernacular, ever. So it's like, did mama go cuckoo? What happened to mama? And we found out that she received an experience in that prayer meeting, February 1975, called the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And in fact, the ladies didn't know what happened to him, and they found a they found a local pastor who was friend of one of the ladies. He came by one day, and they told him what happened to him. And he said, "Well, well, if you've received the Bible experience called the baptism with the Holy Spirit," and they said, "What is that?" He explained it to them. And they did not teach that in the Southern Baptist Church. How many know that? In fact, we live in what we call it is called the Bible Belt right now, the southeastern United States is the Bible Belt, and, uh, you know, I love Baptists, but I guess Baptist doctrine kind of rules here. You figure that out? Uh, and I love Baptists, I love Methodists, I love Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Lutheran, if you, whatever you, uh, persuasion you are, I like you. Uh, I think you're wonderful people, right? God's got saved people in every denomination. There are also some lost people in every denomination. Is that true? And so, you know, it could be that the, that the wheat and the weeds are being divided today. And, and, and maybe the pressure is exposing who we really are. What do you think in every denomination? Yes or no? I love all of them. But I'm just going to tell you my experience. So I had never heard about this experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But my, but my experience with my mother showed me that this experience didn't take away from your spiritual life. It added to it. And instead of making her less inclined to walk with God, she was all about God, all about Jesus, all about loving him, all about the Bible, all about praying. And so as an outsider looking in, I thought that was really unusual. Another thing that happened, the, um, uh, I think it was the following year, I had all four of my, I, I, you think I have a big mouth, I actually have a small mouth. So uh, I had to have all four of my wisdom teeth extracted. Uh, my brother had it prior to me, and he swelled up like a chickmunk and couldn't eat for a period of time. You know, you guys, you know, eat suck soup slowly out of a straw or something. Um, but my mother, after this experience, she said, Mitch, the Lord spoke to me. And I, I thought, uh-oh. And she said, um, if I don't get through this Sunday, can I finish this next time? Because I don't want to go too fast here. Uh, anyway, she said, um, the Lord spoke to me and said, if I pray for you before you go and have those uh, wisdom teeth removed, said, uh, you won't swell up, and uh, you'll be eaten the next day. I thought, you really are cuckoo. I didn't say it, but I thought it. And she said, can I lay my hands on you and pray? Because the Bible says they'll lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. I said, well, I reckon so. Go ahead. And so skeptically, I looked at her, and she just laid her paws on me and prayed. And y'all, all I remember, they said, they had to put me to sleep, you know. Count backwards from 100, 100, 99. 98, <laughs> And the next thing I remember, they were giving me a shot in my rear end so I wouldn't hurt. And uh, the next day, after the surgery, I never swelled up, and I was eating. Now, that was a miracle. Uh, for me, that was the first miracle I'd really ever seen like that. God answered my mother's prayer. I thought, hmm, there's really something to that. So uh, anyway, I, I, uh, we, my, my brothers and my father and I had a whole year of watching my mother. September of 1976, I was going to school to be an electronics engineer at a local uh, college. And, um, and I worked at a grocery store, and I was working full-time to, you know, make my way through school and stuff. So I was really, really busy. And a guy invited me to, um, a, guy invited me to a, um, a, a Bible school that was in the town, and they had... They had what they called field day or day of fellowship among the students. And he saw me where I worked at a local grocery store, a large grocery chain, invited me to come that afternoon. It was September 11th, and I went. Of all things, it was September 11th, right? And it was on a Saturday. I went, and I thought, these people are crazy. What is wrong with these people? They were saying, I love you, brother. I said, don't you messing with me. I'm not like that. I'm not kidding. And they were hugging each other. They tried to hug me, and I thought, you better keep your distance with me, friend. You know. I mean, usually you shake hands with somebody you don't know. They just hug. Hey, brother, how you doing? Boom, just hug. I thought, what is up? So I spent the whole afternoon with these guys. The next day I went to church with them. I'd never been to a church other than 
my Baptist church, and this was, a, I guess they were called a charismatic church. The Greek word for, um, um, the Greek word charismata means grace, means gifts. And charismatic churches are churches that allow the Holy Spirit to manifest. And there was in my town, uh, there's in my town a church, it was a, what we, they called a charismatic church. And the unusual thing about this church when I went, there were people from all persu- uh, religious persuasions there, uh, Christian religion persuasions, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, uh, Lutheran, Catholic, Episcopalian, Church of God, Assemblies of God, Pentecost, all of them were in that church. And I'd meet people, and I'd say, well, where'd you come from? they say, Baptist. Where'd you come from, Methodist? Where'd you come from, Presbyterian? Where'd you come from, Luther? I said, you're kidding me. Where'd you come from? You used to be a Catholic? You're here? You're kidding. And it's like, what in the world? But uh, they had Thursday night services, and we would pack the whole place out. Everybody okay? Thursday night, we'd pack the place out with people. People would just come and run into this charismatic, quote-unquote, church. Because that was the rage in the mid-70s. There was a, the, the Holy Spirit was being poured out all over the world. It's estimated that perhaps almost, uh, almost a billion people are baptized with the Holy Spirit worldwide now. Well, that had its inception in the early 60s all the way through the 70s. And when I came to Jesus, that, there was a big move of God. I guess you could call it a revival in my hometown. Uh, the power of God was so evident and present. When I came to that church, I, I didn't even know what to think. You know, I was raised in the country and... Um, and, you know, I had fields where the uh, uh, farmers would plant uh, either soybean or cotton or corn for feed around my house. I had five fields around my house. And we lived way out in the middle of nowhere. And, and so when I was a little boy, the corn would grow sometimes, the stalks, you know how tall they are, sometimes seven feet tall, just really tall, you know. And, uh, and I'd go out there and I couldn't see anything but the corn. When I went, listen to this, first time I went to this church, September 12, 1976, here's what I noticed. I stood there, and I was in the pew, and they had pews. They had an old Baptist church they had bought. Emmanuel Baptist Church had a pipe organ in it. And I was standing there, and like everybody, you know, and they're singing, and they're worshiping, but everybody around me has got their hands up like this. And I thought, you know, this is kind of like being in a cornfield. That's what I thought, because I can't see anything by hands. And I didn't lift my hands, because I didn't know why they were lifting hands. Later on, I found out, that First Timothy 2.8 says, I will that men therefore pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And then uh, the Psalms talks about lifting up holy hand, uh, hands as an evening sacrifice. So lifting of the hands is a form of an expression of worshiping the Lord. In fact, some of, uh, one of the words for praise in the Old Testament means the lifting of the hands and it, as an expression of of praise, there are two Hebrew words, yada and toda. I didn't know that. Here's what you'll find out: the Holy Spirit will lead you to walk in line with the Word. And so that day when I, I got to church and I saw that uh, that morning, I repented of sin again. I let sin get in my life. I'd gotten into drugs and rebellion as a teenager, and just made a mess of myself. I felt like I was the black sheep of my family. You know, God can use black sheep. God can redeem black sheep. God can use black wool, whatever. I'm just telling you, God will take what you were and make you into something amazing that you can't even believe yourself. How many believe that? So somebody's watching and you're in the room. You say, is there help for me? Absolutely. You know what I think? If there's help for me, there's help for you. And if God can do something with my life, he can do it with yours too. Nonetheless, that day, September 12th, was kind of monumental. So I came back to Jesus that morning. And then, uh, and then uh, I went to lunch and on the way home, it's about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I told you this before. I, had, uh, I, smoked, I smoked cigarettes at the time. I had a pack of Cools and a pack of Marlboros in my, in my car. And I'll never forget. And I thought, well, I came to Jesus that morning. I said, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. And it was 2 o'clock. I looked at my watch. It was 2 o'clock. I rolled the window down and threw both packets of cigarettes out. And I said, I'll never smoke another one. And I have it to this day. So when I fill out insurance forms, ask them, when's the last time you smoked cigarettes? Do you ever smoke? Yes. When's the last time you smoked? September 12, 1976. <laughs> so then that evening, I went back to church, and, and uh, the associate pastor spoke, and at 7.20 p.m., he just simply said, if you want more of Jesus, come up front. And the guy that brought me to church, his name was Steve, he said, he said, Mitch you, want, he just, Mitch, you want more of Jesus? Everybody's standing up. They had their hands raised up, you know. They sang a little bit. And then he said, if you want more of Jesus, come down here. He said, you want more of Jesus? I said, well, well yeah, I guess I do. He said, well, you need to go up there. I said, 
Okay, and I walked right down front. And, they, and, and this is the way it was then. A whole crowd of people crowded around the front. And the pastor laid hands on people. And they got baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I received that experience September 12th, 1976, 7.20 p.m. And it's changed my, I mean, I haven't been the same since. In fact, I was so different, it was uncanny, it was strange. How many hear me? Now, I'd never heard the experience. Oh, my mother had received it. My father, my father was a dyed-in-the-wool Southern Baptist and never changed to the day he went to be with Jesus. But he never, ever, ever said anything about what we received. Did you hear me? He saw, he saw the proof of our life and what happened and how it had transformed us. Nonetheless, that's my experience, and I have not been the same after receiving this experience called the baptism with the Holy Spirit. My life underwent a transformation, a tremendous change, and the thing that I think was the most challenging was I had never heard of this experience, and I'd been in church almost 18 years. Do you understand that? So if, you, if there's an experience available to a believer and you've never heard anything about it, the first thing you want to say is, well, is it real? Is it valid? Because it seems like if good, if, if good people who are preaching the Bible, if it's a valid experience, they would say something about it. The uncanny thing, nobody in my circle said anything about it. And I thought, that's really uncanny and strange. But here I am, my mother received this experience. I saw what happened to her. I saw what happened to her friends. I saw what happened to me. But I noticed that nobody, and then I found out, I went to Bible school in 1977, and I found out that there is, uh, there is a doctrine called uh, secessionism. Everybody say secessionism. Secessionists believe that all of the power of God ended when the last apostle died, basically with the first century. Anybody ever heard that? Now, I had heard that all my life. They said, well, all that stuff is not available today. In fact, let me tell you what happened. The deacons found out my mother had received the baptism with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in an unknown language. They sent two of the uh, deacons with an affidavit from the deacon board to my front door. My dad was a deacon. They not, nobody ever came. If, if, you're a, if you're a friend, you go in the back door. Or the side, but people that don't know you, they go in the front door. So they knocked on the front door and we went to the living room and opened the door. And my dad opened the door and I was standing in the back. He said, well, hi, y'all, what you doing? They had a paper in the hand and they said, can we come in? He let them step into the door and they said, well, we have an affidavit from the uh, deacon board and we would like, sir, for you to sign this affidavit disavowing and saying that you do not believe in the experience that your wife, who has been a Sunday school teacher here that she received, would like for you to sign right here on this dotted line. And I remember my dad looked at that, looked at that document, looked at them. He said, uh, you see this door you just come out of? You go right back out that door. Don't you ever come in my house with this in, my, in your hand again. I'll never sign that. And they left. And that's the last thing I heard of it. My, my dad would not deny that something happened to his wife. Whether he got it or not, he knew something that was real. Then when I got it, he said, something must be going on. This guy that was all about dope and drugs and mess is now all about Jesus. Something's going on. How many hear me? And so I began to search the word and found out there is a valid New Testament experience called the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now, the cessationists, let me tell you what they say. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 13 uh, 1 Corinthians 13, I think you got the verse, throw it up on the screen, I think it's verse 9 or whatever. Um, they say, if we, we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is done away, you know, when that which is perfect is come, then, you know, you, you won't need anything else. So they, they, there it is. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. So... Uh, the partial things that become useless, the cessationists say, are the gifts of the Spirit, the power of God, the baptism with the Holy Spirit that the disciples received on the day of Pentecost. They said that was just for the early church, just to get the church started. Once the church was started, you don't need that anymore. The problem with it is I can't find it in the Bible anywhere. And what they say is, well, really, really what perfection came was the Bible. When the 66 uh, books, the Canaan of Scripture, the rule of Scripture was set in force, that is the perfection that has come. The Bible is all you need. You don't need all this other stuff the early church had. You don't need the power they had. The church has already started. You've got what they didn't have. You have 
You've got the whole Bible, but they forgot what what Peter said in Acts chapter 2. He said this promise of the baptism with the Holy Spirit is for you, your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And then I noticed that Jesus says something in John 14. He said, the works that I do, you will do also. And greater works than these you will do because I go into my Father. And then I noticed he, he uh, hired 70 guys, sent them out in groups of two. And they went to minister in the power of his name. They cast out devil, devils. They healed the sick. They preached the word. They ministered life just the way that Jesus did with the same power of the Holy Spirit that he had. And if the early church had it, why can't we have it now? So I turned my brain. I got a brain. Use the thing. I said, well, wait a minute. I looked through all through the book of Acts. And I found out there are one, two, three, four, if you include the Apostle Paul, five instances in the book of Acts where people received what my pastor never talked about. And that is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Somebody's trying to call me. There you go. Not today. Not right now. Just listen online, whoever's trying to call me, and maybe you'll get something out of this. But I found out this was a valid New Testament experience. I want to take some time to talk about it because, you know, one thing I really appreciate about the Baptist and the way I was read, I was raised, uh, they would say themselves, the Bereans in the New Testament, they searched the Scriptures whether these things be so. And they, say, they would say, you know, we've got that attitude of the Bereans. That is, we want to search the Scriptures. If you can find it in the Scriptures, you can do it. And that's why, that's why just a really a part of my childhood I appreciate was the Baptists would preach the Bible, just teach the Bible, talk about the Bible. And I really, really liked that. But what they did is they just t- took this portion, healing, uh, miracles, anything like that, just take it all away. That's for the first century. It's not for now. And they call themselves cessationists. I just can't find that in the New Testament. If you can find a scripture that absolutely says that the power of God is to be done away with in the church age, I would like, I will give you $1 million. I'll find out a way. Well, you know, I, I will tell you, I could give you, I'll give you 5000 But I know I'll keep my money because you won't find it. So when I came to Jesus, got filled with the Holy Spirit, it changed my life. And I've shared this over the years. I was uh, in India, Calcutta, India, in 1998, and there was a Presbyterian pastor's car. Now, I didn't know what it was. The guy that invited me, I didn't know what I was going to. But I'm in Calcutta, India. I'm teaching, and the Holy Spirit came on me in the afternoon. I had the very last session, and it started at like 2 o'clock. And the missionary I went with said, I want you to do the very last session. And so they sing forever and a day before you start preaching, you know. So we're worshiping. And, um, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I want you to preach on the baptism with the Holy Spirit. I said, you got to be joking. All these people. And I found out there's all kind of denominational pastors. None of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. I got up and said, well, the Lord's changed my message. I preached for two and a half hours on the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And I said, hey, a small crowd, about, you know, maybe 100 people. And it's just pastors. And I said, now, if, if you'd like to receive this experience, I want you to come down right now. You'll get it. And y'all, for 15 seconds, nobody moved. And I was waiting on the egg, the tomato, what, you know. Instead, one guy one guy got up and came down front and stood in front of me. And when he did, it's like he opened the gate up, 85 came. And I prayed for all of those pastors, and they all got filled with the Holy Spirit. It was amazing. So, you know, I don't care what, where you're from, what country you're from, what denomination you're from. Holy Spirit power is available to you. And that's what you need to know today. Notice what Jesus said. In fact, Jesus says something really unusual. John chapter 20 is Resurrection Sunday. And Jesus had been raised from the dead. Mary saw him. And she went and told the disciples they couldn't hardly believe it. The tomb was empty. Then that night they were in a room, an upper chamber, uh, upstairs room. And the doors and windows were shut because they were afraid the Romans would come and take them away the way they did Jesus, you know. 
And they're there, and Jesus materially just manifests in front of them then without opening a door or a window. Just Star Trek stuff, you know. And, uh, you know, as a, as a father has sent me, so send I you. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, that was unusual. When, when he said that, my mind went back and studying back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where God scooped Adam's body from the dust of the ground and, and then bent over that body he created from dirt. And the Hebrew words ruach, my Wi-Fi at my house is named by that. Ruach. And he breathed into their nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Well, and then Jesus breathed on the disciples. God's breath into Adam brought physical life. Jesus' breath into the, on to the disciples brought spiritual life. See the parallel? And I'm convinced that they were born again that evening, right after the resurrection. Now, Jesus hadn't ascended to the Father yet, but he had already paid for salvation. It was no longer a promissory note. It was an actual fact. He conquered death. He conquered, he conquered sin. He conquered the grave. He conquered Satan. And there he was and spoke to his disciples for 40 days, right? And so just before he left, Luke 24, 49, and now I send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Now, Luke, again, uh, wrote the book of Acts and wrote it to a, a man named Theophilus, and he was recanting what had happened uh, in Jesus' life and ministry in the book of Luke, and then he continued with the church age in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he was explaining again to Theophilus, and being assembled together with them, speaking of Jesus, verse 4, Acts 1, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And he told him to wait in Jerusalem. Wait in Jerusalem until this power comes. And then verse, verse uh, 8 of Acts 1, you receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. And you will be witnesses. Everybody say witnesses. Unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, having said that, let me mention this, and I'll go into more detail next time, and then the next time we'll, we'll get it. But I just got to go slow. Y'all getting this so far? So you got to understand there's a dual work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Number one, he comes in in the new birth. Romans 8, 9 says this, if any man has, has not the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one spirit we're baptized into one body. That means we're placed into, the word baptism means to place into something. By one spirit we're baptized into, are placed into one body. We're, how many know you become the, a member of the body of Christ when the Holy Spirit comes in you when you're born again? So see, as a Baptist boy, I got born again. I recommitted my life to Jesus just before my 18th birthday, but the Holy Spirit was in me, so there's the indwelling of the Spirit. Everybody say indwelling. What does that mean? That means he's in you, and see, the reason he comes in you is to change your character. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, right? Old things pass away, all things become new, right? That means on the inside, there is deposited in us God's DNA. We have new interests. We have new desires. We have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. It's all inside of you. The whole motivation for life changes when you come to Jesus, yes or no? That's the indwelling of the Spirit. And, that's, uh, and see, that's a valid New Testament experience. But there's another part. See, the indwelling of the Spirit is for character but there's another part that, that we have left out, many people have left out. There is the empowerment of the Spirit. There's the baptism with the Holy Spirit, and, and it's for power, power to be a witness. But you shall receive power, everybody say power, when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. Best way I can explain it, and I've just left all my notes, so I just have to leave them alone. This is... Uh, bottle of water, and, uh, you know, obviously uh, water's in the bottle. What's the relationship of this bottle to water? This is a, I've used this illustration for many decades now, but 
you know, the, this, water has a rel- this bottle has a relationship with water in that the water's inside of it. That's the indwelling of the Spirit. But if I take this same bottle of water and I got a foot tub, a big tub here, a uh, bucket, and I fill it up with water, and I stick it in the water, uh, question, has the relationship of that bottle to water changed? Yes. Say, how? Well, not only does it have water in it, but if I put it in a tub of water, a bucket of water, water surrounds it. Yes or no? So understand the phrase, baptism with the Holy Spirit. Baptism, baptizo, the Greek word, to place into, to immerse in. Now, thankfully, as as Southern Baptists, we didn't sprinkle, we don't. So when we did water baptism, we had a tank. Pastor got in it, got his britches wet. And you just wet the whole person, ka-chunk, all the way under the water. That's baptism in water, right? What is baptism with the Holy Spirit? What is the substance you're being immersed into? Holy Spirit. You get it? So what does the baptism with the Holy Spirit do? It changes the relationship the believer has with the Holy Spirit. How? Not only is he with you, in you, but he surrounds you. It's like you're in a bubble full of Holy Ghost. And I don't care where you're at or what you're doing. All of life becomes the will of God. All of life, you look through life through the lens of who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, what the Bible says. So you do your work as unto the Lord. You love people just the way that Jesus loved you. And you relate all of life to what God says about it. And that's the big difference I saw with the baptism with the Holy Spirit. How many hearing me? So Jesus told the disciples not to leave Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Father. John baptized with water, so he immersed people in a substance called water, but I'm going to immerse people in, in the substance Holy Spirit. They said, we better hang around, so they waited 10 days. They were in the upper room. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, it was a Jewish feast day. It was the feast of uh, three harvest feasts, this feast of harvest. And Jews from all over the world came to Jerusalem for the feast of Pentecost or the feast of harvest. And on the day of Pentecost, all believers were meeting together in one place. And this is the, the 120, if you read Acts 1, in the upper room. And uh, they were praying suddenly. How many know a little, only a little bit will happen if you don't pray? But they were praying, and because they were praying, a suddenly happened. Did you know if you'll do some more praying, God will do some suddenlies for you? On the day of Pentecost, all the believers are meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled. Everybody say filled. With the Holy Spirit began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, this happened on the day of Pentecost, and it was uh, just early in the morning, and there were people from all over the, uh, all over the Middle East that had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the uh, Feast of Pentecost, And uh, I don't have time this morning, but it's in the notes. You can read it. Uh, 17 different uh, ethnicities, nationalities were in Jerusalem that day. And all 17 of those different people who spoke different languages say, this is amazing. These people come out of that room and all of us can hear them speaking in our language. And it mentions them, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamians, Judeans, Cappadocians, Pope. Uh, those from Pontius, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, Rome. Whoa, they said, we can hear them our language. These guys came out of the upper room speaking a language they never learned and they didn't know what they were saying and they were talking to the people in Jerusalem. 
Now, the Baptist that I was raised with said, well, see, the whole reason they had that Acts 2-4 experience, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, is so they could minister to those different nationalities in Jerusalem. But what they failed to consider was when Paul came to Jesus in Acts chapter 9, he got filled with the Holy Ghost when Ananias, when Ananias ministered to him, if you go read Acts chapter 9. And then Acts chapter 8, there were believers in Samaria who Philip the evangelist got saved, and they sent Peter and John from Jerusalem Jerusalem, Acts chapter 8, and we'll go through this later in detail. Acts chapter 8, start with about verse 12, verse 16. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, just like they were on the day of Pentecost. Then 10 years after Pentecost, uh, in a a Gentile's uh, uh, house, in Acts chapter 10, verse 44, uh, Peter was speaking to Gentiles. He had just had a vision that God didn't just want to save Jews, but everybody. Aren't you glad? And while Peter yet spake these words, Acts 10, 44, the Holy Ghost fell on all them who heard the word. That's 10 years after Pentecost. They received exactly the same experience that the believers did, the Jewish people did on on the day of Pentecost. And that's 10 years after. And then Acts 19, here's 20 years after Pentecost. Here's Ephesus, the modern day Turkey. Uh, Paul found some believers who were still following John the Baptist. I'm telling you, uh, mail traveled slow that day, those days. They didn't have the internet. And he got them saved. And verse 6, then laid, Paul laid his hands on them. They received the Holy Spirit, spoke with tongues and prophesied. So if it was only for uh, that age, if it was only for the people in Jerusalem only to minister to those people in Jerusalem of all those different ethnic persuasions, seems like it wouldn't have happened in Acts 8 or Acts 9 with Paul or Acts 10 with the Gentiles in Cornelius' house or in Acts 19. How many hear me? No, in fact, the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, Paul, uh, Peter said when he was preaching on Pentecost. How many hear me? So uh, as the cessationists say, it ceases, ceased with the early church. That's not what I see in Scripture. That promises for us today. So my experience, now I'm going to end with this. In fact, uh, I think I'll just say this and explain it next week because I ran out of time. There are three things that happen with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is what I noticed. When I received that experience, I was almost 17, almost 18. I was 17. I was uh, three weeks shy of my 18th birthday. Here's what I found out. Three things happen. You, you receive, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes three things. This is my summarization of it. Number one, a greater, uh, a, a, a greater boldness comes on you to witness for Jesus. Acts 1.8 says that. You receive power when the Holy Spirit come on you, right? The next day I went to work. And uh, everybody okay? Y'all got time to hear this? I like to do it next week. Next week or now? All right. I was notorious for trying to quit smoking. And everybody I worked with at the grocery store knew I smoked. And so it was this little redhead, freckle-faced girl. And she was the prettiest little girl. She was, uh, I went to school with her all my life. She was in my first grade class. And she worked where I worked. And, um, and anyway, so she, I come out, to, I was working on my little aisle, you know, and she come out in the back room, said, Mitch, give me a cigarette. And first time in my life, the Holy Spirit rose up and, t- and said, tell Jane, tell Jane that you don't smoke because Jesus set you free. And I said, well, I can't do that. She think I'm crazy. And, and she kept walking, you know, and I heard it again. No. And she said, well, Mitch, give me a cigarette. I didn't respond because I was listening. And I heard it again. You tell her that you don't smoke because Jesus set you free. I said, well, that's mighty. I don't know if I want to do that or not. And so I just said it. When I said it, I mean, she looked at me. She looked at me like, uh, you ever been in the country and seen a cow? And he just kind of looks at you like uh, with a dead face. She looked at me like. Because Mitch Horton would never say, Jesus set me free. I said, well, Jane, I don't smoke anymore. Jesus set me free from cigarette smoking. And she walked on. But when I said that joy, y'all, joy like, joy like, joy like. That kind of joy. You get it? Joy. Y'all. Woo. That kind of joy rose up. I thought, man, that's. And so I found out every time I said something about Jesus, joy, joy, 
If you don't have any joy, you ain't been talking about Jesus. Second thing. That night, it was Monday night, September 13th. I got off at 6. Microwaves had just come out. We didn't have one yet. We had that little old thing on the counter. You heat up, you know, your food. And my mother had dipped my meal. My family had already, already eaten. I got home from work. Ate my food, take it out of that little oven. And I said, well, I'm going to go back to my room. Mom is still living with my parents. I'm 18, not quite. And uh, so I I lay down in the bed. And y'all, I mean, I just never, ever, I never had a hunger for the Bible. I just wanted to read the Bible. I was like, I want to read that book right there. And all day I'm thinking, I want to read that book right there. I want to read that Bible. I had a Bible since I was a kid. So I laid down on my bed or propped myself up on a pillow. You know how you do. And I took my Bible out and said, well, Old Testament, New Testament. I broke out Matthew. Started reading Matthew, the genealogy. And then Jesus' birth, Matthew 1 in Matthew 2, Matthew 3, Matthew 4. By the time I got to the Beatitudes, Matthew 5. Wait a minute. What is this? Holy Bible. And it was King James Version, so... I looked at it, I said, something's different. Something's different about the Bible. I found out 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this, Now the natural man understands not the things of the Spirit of God, because they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know or understand them, because they're spiritually understood. Whoa. I found out when you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that power comes... And he'll look through your eyes. And he'll give you the meaning of what he was saying. There's a technical meaning, but there's also a spiritual application. Did you hear me? And y'all, I mean, I literally want to go. I'm just hungry. I'm, I'm not hungry. I'm hungry. I just want to read. And I found myself reading it on my break, reading it at lunch, reading it all the time underlining things. I'm just full of the, I just want the word. How many know there's a greater understanding of the word that comes with the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Lastly, a new way to pray. Now, I've been doing this for over 45 years, every day of my life. It's uh, 16,000 something at this point. I looked it up. I added it up. 365 days a year times 45 plus a month or so. Every day I spend time praying in the Spirit. Several phrases mean the same thing. Praying in the unknown tongue, praying in the spirit, praying in other tongues or other languages. Now some trans, new translations bear. But, but it's, you're talking in a language you didn't learn and you're saying things that you don't understand. But praying that way, you're praying, the Bible says, and we'll get into the weeds, the perfect will of God. And I can stand here a long period of time and tell you of experience after experience after experience over a period of 45 years where, I mean, God has done exceeding abundantly above all I could ever ask or think, whether I'm on the mission field, whether I'm pastoring, whether I'm just tooling through life like every other believer, just seeking first the kingdom of God, and things happen. Praying in the Spirit is an amazing thing. It's an amazing ability to talk to God in a language your mind doesn't understand, but it literally is spirit-to-spirit communion with the God that created you. It is amazing. And I used to, as a teenager, remember, I would try to pray a little bit, and I never could be satisfied in praying. But I found out the first time I began to pray in the Spirit, it's like everything I wanted to say Even though I don't know what I said, I said what I needed to say. And my heart is so satisfied. And that is so strange to me. Because this mind that wants to usurp God's place in my life, this mind that wants to take God's place, this mind that wants to explain God out of every facet of life, it doesn't have a clue unless the Holy Spirit shows me what He's saying, what I'm saying. But it just causes things to work together for good to them that love God. Romans 8, 28. How many here? I got a lot to say, and I ran, I run plumb out of time. Did y'all get something out of that? So listen, baptism with the Holy Spirit's available. Did you hear me? If you haven't received it, you can. Yeah, I'm not put, can you be a Christian without it? Yeah. 
But why did Jesus tell the first century church not to leave Jerusalem without it before they went into all the world? Why? Because they needed the power of God along with the character of Christ. Yes or no? So if you have not received that experience, if you haven't received Jesus, you can receive him. And then once you receive him, if you haven't received the baptism with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in that beautiful, amazing, heavenly language, you can receive it anytime you want. Some people receive it at home. Some people receive it at church. I've had a lot of people that receive it at home. Some of my friends have received at home. People in our church received at home. You just got to want God more than you want your mess. And if you want God more than you want your mess and you say, God, they the hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled, I want everything you got, give it to me now. And you'll receive. Luke eleven thirteen. as I conclude, if you've been natural people, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them who ask? All you have to do is ask. Now, you know, if this is new to you, and I realize with the size crowd we got today, maybe watching online, you say, well, I'm not hurt about all this. Well, that's okay. Search the scriptures to see whether these things be so. Send me an email at pastor at victorychurchraleigh.com. Uh, come and see me. I'd be glad to talk with you if you don't understand what I just talked about. Again, you can be a believer without receiving this, but I'm telling you it's a whole lot better to walk through life with this experience. It will change how you connect with God, and it'll make uh, the spiritual presence of Jesus so much real to you because, again, you just won't have the Spirit within you. You'll have the Spirit surrounding you. You get it? You're immersed in Holy Spirit.